1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden, a senior China-Africa researcher at the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, today we're going to touch back on the wildlife trade or the animal trade between China and Africa. And typically when people kind of think of wildlife and conservation issues in Africa related to animals. It comes down to tigers, elephants, rhinos, pangolins. In fact, there was just a report that came out last month that they're harvesting 2.7 million pangolins a year. And it's just shocking. I mean, it's just absolutely shocking. And so those are the kind of stereotypical animals in Africa that people think about when it comes to the China-Africa trade in that sense. But there is another animal, and we've touched on this a couple years ago, and it's been a while, the donkey. And the donkey is a critically important animal, but it doesn't get the attention that uh, other animals get. Uh, But it is at the core of so much of what happens in daily life in so much of subsistence farming across the continent and there is a crisis and it's a crisis that has been going on for years we touched on this back in 2017 when we interviewed Lily guo who was then the courts reporter and for in nairobi and now she's based in beijing for the guardian and she wrote about this but really since then it it has died down a little bit in the media and that's why i thought it would be a good idea to kind of get back on what's going on with this part of the story
2: So donkeys are harvested, you know, horrible word, um, for their skins, um, which is used for a kind of a traditional Chinese medicine, which is essentially a kind of gelatin that's boiled down from donkey skin. Um, it's used as, a, as you know for, for a variety of, of of reasons, including things like fatigue. Um, but it's, it's also it's also used as a as a kind of a general tonic, a kind of a cure all, and it's gotten quite popular in China over the last while. And what we've seen in the process is that the Chinese. Um, donkey economy can't, can't keep up with demand and in the process we've seen donkeys starting to disappear from rural economies all over the world with particularly donkeys in Africa being affected.
1: So think about this uh, the donkey industry or the eijiao which is the medicine, this traditional Chinese medicine that Kobus referenced uh, requires approximately 4.8 million donkey skins every year and that means the eijiao industry has to source those donkey skins uh, from somewhere and in part because the donkey production in China has been halved over the years so that forced the the e-jiao industry if you will to look around the world and that Placed an unprecedented pressure on donkey populations in other countries, uh, and it even led to the collapse of some donkey populations in in certain countries. so this is not just an african issue we 're seeing the same thing happen in other parts of the world, the developing world largely, uh, namely South America as well, where people are are effectively stealing other people 's donkeys and Think about this when you when a poacher comes in to steal a donkey, he is stealing the livelihood. Right out from under a, a family farm or whatnot, because the donkey is used for transportation, it's used for farming, it's used to, it's really the financial engine of a family. And so this is a really important issue and one that is, uh, that does not get the attention that it deserves, so which is why we thought it would be a good opportunity to talk about this uh, with the group that leads the effort on raising awareness, and that's the Donkey Sanctuary based in London. And we're thrilled to have Alex Myers, who's the head of programs at Donkey Sanctuary. Uh, He's joining us online today from Accra in Ghana. And uh, Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to to join us. We really appreciate it.
3: Hi there. No problem at all.
1: So Alex, you guys are having a new report that's coming out. uh, Under the Skin 2, which I hate to say it, but does sound like an action movie, uh, but it is uh, so. It's a very serious issue. But it is a new report that's ca- that that came out recently. Uh, and what are the key findings in that report to kind of set the tone for what we're going to talk about today?
3: So what we've been doing over the last couple of years since we launched our first report on this is triangulating all the information which we were hearing, trying to really get um, underneath the issue, try and do as much work as we can to to research the different possibilities of this understand it from different angles, as well as also lobbying and making sure that we were doing all that we can both to protect donkeys in communities, um, which has taught us an awful lot about how much people really do value their donkeys and how much they desperately need to keep hold of them. Um, At the same time, as also working with governments and decision makers to try and influence them to take... A more effective stand and to enforce the legislation and the the stands which they've taken against the trade, or to try and raise awareness of the, the issues of this and the very, very short-term nature of the trade um, and help them to think about some of the long-term consequences, both for communities, for the environment, and of course for the welfare of the donkeys themselves. So this report that we're putting out very soon um, really highlights, with as much research and as much data as we can get hold of, um, exactly how unsustainable the trade has been, exactly how inhumane it has been, um, and exactly the, the different environmental consequences of, uh, of this particular industry. It is a very short-term industry. Uh, we, as far as we are aware, the industry in China is really struggling with its supply chain over the last couple of years, which is hardly surprising when the annual demand for skins, there's a number of skins which the industry needs, is probably now slightly higher than the entire donkey population of China. Um, It's ever likely that there's now an increasing need for them to be sourcing elsewhere, but it means that their profits have fallen. We've seen a report recently that the leading producer has seen a profit fall of 75% because they simply can't find the skins that they need. And um, whilst that's pushing them to find more humane alternatives, there's a real need for governments, particularly in Africa, where people rely very heavily on the donkeys for livelihoods. There's such a strong need for people to be taking a stand and making sure that those short-term threats... Um, uh, mitigated as much as possible to allow a long-term um, support from the donkeys um, to that underpin people's livelihoods access to water things like that
2: i believe we spoke uh with uh with someone from the donkey sanctuary um when the first under the skin report came out a few years ago um and you know we've we've as as eric also mentioned we've Try to keep tabs on it occasionally as uh, you know as as the controversy has de- has developed um can you give us an idea of how how everything is de- how the trade has developed since it since it started hitting the headlines a few years ago to now? has the trade essentially stayed the same and just gotten gotten you know has the scale increased or is uh, is the trade itself
3: changing it's a really interesting question we've seen the trades change in many different ways actually over the last couple of years. Um, So when we launched the first report in 2017, um, we launched that in January in 2017, there were five countries that had taken a stand against the trade. Four of those were in West Africa and one of them was Pakistan, which, of course, borders China. So uh, that was a particularly strong one. They were seeing too many donkeys disappearing um senegal was actually one of the first in west africa to stand against the trade and it was partly because of the risk of meat ending up in the domestic uh food chain for humans masquerading as beef or something else there was evidence that that was happening and since then we've seen that in a number of countries um the meat is really a byproduct of this trade it's not really the the driving factor it's really about the skins so when there was those five countries standing against it, we were able to use some of the language that those countries were using to, to highlight the value of donkeys to neighboring countries. Um, now we believe that 19 countries are standing against the trade, which is very, very strong. Some of them are standing against it in a, in a very immediate way. So they're stopping things like movement permits and they're closing slaughterhouses or they've stopped licenses from being issued. Very, very fast, immediate things. But there's also a couple of countries who have gone for longer-term plans to legislate against the trade, which is very powerful as well. So Nigeria uh, has put forward a bill which has been through Parliament. It's been through a couple of readings of Parliament. It is now sitting on the president's desk waiting to be signed. Um, That would ban, uh, legally ban the slaughter of donkeys. Um, Similarly, Togo next door to, uh, to Nigeria... Um, is also uh, doing a similar action, so trying to get it uh, legislated against. Um, And as more and more countries stand against the trade, whilst that's a positive thing because it means people are recognising what the donkeys are worth and they're trying to protect the donkeys, it is forcing a change in the trade. So the middlemen who've been trying to source donkeys are maybe not doing it in the same sort of ways. So we've seen cases in places like Mali, where the, the trade is banned, Um, donkeys have been moving illegally across the border into Burkina Faso, which again, it's banned. Um, And then south into Ghana, where again, it's not tolerated either. The slaughterhouse in the north of Ghana has been closed and there's just now illegal slaughter slabs or non-legal slaughter slabs, unlicensed, unregulated. Um, Whilst that means that the trade is changing and still finding an avenue It raises huge new risks, particularly for Chinese consumers, because there's absolutely no veterinary inspections that are going on when that trade is illegal, Um, even when the trade is tolerated in countries like Botswana, where there is one licensed slaughterhouse. There's no adequate veterinary inspections. There's uh, donkeys are not classed as livestock, so they're not really seen as part of any of the existing meat hygiene standards or guidelines in place. So there's this big grey area, which means it's a very risky trade for consumers who could quite honestly be ingesting anything. Um, It also means that as the skins are passed over country borders, um, as they're being slaughtered, as they're being then shipped via neutral countries like Vietnam, where they're then re-exported as a Vietnamese export into China, there's, there's all of these kind of underground channels, which means... If there's, say, a case of anthrax or glanders or some other equine disease, any of that could be passing through those channels and uh, affecting maybe equines, maybe other livestock as well, Uh, maybe even the humans who are handling and moving skins. I mean, skins are a great way to to pass anthrax. So that is a huge risk as this trade is developing. Um, The legal side, we've seen some countries like Kenya, which have continued to push the legal side, And they're running out of donkeys quite quickly. There was one report released by the Brook um, just this week, which was pointing to quite a catastrophic decline in donkeys and numbers in a couple of years being actually questionable whether the population would still be viable. So as a vacuum is created in Kenya, donkeys are being sourced from all neighbouring countries and brought into Kenya to kind of fill that gap and to to head through to the slaughterhouses, which causes all sorts of other issues, not just biosecurity, but conflict with neighbouring countries as donkeys are stolen or moved across borders. Um, we're seeing cases in Mali at the moment where people take their donkeys to market, tie their donkeys up outside, go into the market to sell their bits and pieces. And when they come out, there's no donkey, it's been stolen. And so we're seeing hundreds and hundreds of cases like that, literally hundreds every week. Every week. Um, and there's organisations which are stepping in to try and protect the donkeys, to try and have humane donkey parking in place so that people can, almost like at the butcher's queue, you can take a ticket, hook your donkey to a to a peg with some water and some shade, come back later and someone's kept your donkey secure. So there's all these new community... Um, options and angles which are being investigated and, and piloted to try and see how donkeys can be better protected. And in many cases, they're actually very successful. There's more and more cases of donkeys being recovered in places like Mali and returned to owners. Um, there's cases now where donkeys are actually being blocked from crossing borders and are being rescued in large numbers as well by communities that are standing against the trade as well as as governments as well. So there's a lot of disruption to the trade and a lot of people now trying to find new access points or new routes And explore different things but the awareness is certainly rising which means it's getting harder and harder to do illegally and i think that's really having that knock-on impact on the trade and on the industry in china now too
0: support for this podcast comes from the africa china reporting project at witt university school of journalism in johannesburg the acrp provides reporting grants workshops and other professional development opportunities for both african and chinese journalists Follow the ACRP on Twitter at China Africa or visit africachinareporting.co.za for information about grants and upcoming seminars.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about the legal side of things. And I think when, when I've talked to people about this over the years, there's this sense of frustration in Africa that they're not they haven't been able to take advantage of a potential market here. So there's clearly a demand for something that Africans have. And in Kenya, a couple years ago, there was talk about creating two abattoirs, two slaughterhouses. Uh, And then people were complaining, the owners of those slaughterhouses, I think they were Chinese owned at the time, and I'm not sure if they're still around, uh, were complaining that they couldn't get the permits, they couldn't get the licenses, they couldn't get the government to engage. And this seemed like a big missed opportunity to be able to Uh, harvest or, uh, you know, to herd donkeys the same way that people would herd cows or other livestock, and then to export the, the skins and the meat or do other things with it and to make a profit from it and to generate jobs. And that's exactly the kinds of things that in places like rural Kenya, they need. And when there's a demand somewhere like China, that makes sense. But yet, the governance side of it or the regulatory side in places like Kenya haven't Able to get into motion. And then that, it seems like if you legalize the industry, formalize it, uh, it would then relieve some of the pressure on the illegal side, the poaching that's going on, because the demand would be satisfied and the prices would be pushed lower. Why hasn't that happened?
3: We've been doing quite a lot of work to try and understand that question because. there should really be some opportunities in here for local people with donkeys, particularly if there's a donkey at the end of end of its working life. If a donkey's got a broken leg and can't work anymore, then logically it would make sense for somebody to be able to sell the carcass and still make a profit from that donkey. You know, put it to sleep humanely, and make sure that there's there's a way that um, that that's done in a humane and a sustainable way. But unfortunately, what we're seeing is that this isn't really a trade which is looking for those sustainable, humane opportunities. So what we're seeing is a very, very unsustainable trade where pregnant mares um, are being sourced. Um, It's young donkeys very often which are being sourced because it's this real short-term drive. Um, What we're seeing in many places as donkeys are being um, transported and slaughtered is um, kind of deaths through um, stress-related conditions. Um, the, the nature of donkeys means that it's very, very difficult to hold them in large groups. Um, they're not f- If they're held with donkeys they're not familiar with, they get very, very stressed. That can cause stress-related diseases. Um, it can actually kill the donkeys through a condition called hyperlipemia. Um, they're not used to being in large herds, and they're not used to being with unfamiliar territories or with unfamiliar animals as well. So it's not really possible to do that at scale. Um, we've been doing quite a lot of work with different universities looking at modeling of how one could farm donkeys in a humane and a sustainable way to try to secure a supply chain and whether there are actually opportunities to do that in a humane and a sustainable way and everything that the donkey is telling us and everything that the research is now pointing to is just saying to be honest when you've got a donkey that takes a year to be when it's pregnant it then takes two more years before the the foal is mature enough to then breed from again when there are other barriers and other issues with how slow and how unproductive the donkeys are. It makes it very, very challenging um, to actually have anything at scale. And so we've been doing a bit of work with universities just about modeling of how possible it would be to farm donkeys humanely and sustainably. Um, and it's extremely challenging. The nature of donkeys means that the gestation is very long. It means that the donkeys take a good couple of years before they breed uh, before they grow up to be adults. Um, the, there's lots of risks with difficult births. There's lots of risks with stress-related conditions when the donkey's pregnant, which means they can abort very easily. Loads of challenges. And it means that there's almost a paradox with donkey farming that the more intensively you try to do it, the less productive it becomes. So the donkey itself is a big barrier to how this could actually be done. And we have seen some business plans from um, farming companies who have slaughterhouses in Tanzania those business plans actually highlight how something like it would require a three and a half million to four million dollar investment over four years and the outputs they were projecting would be about 900 donkeys so you're talking thousands and thousands of dollars just to produce one skin in four years and when you're looking at that those kind of sums and that kind of maths it doesn't really add up i think the industry itself is very aware that You can't actually breed donkeys intensively at the speed that's required. It would take generations and generations, even if you had a huge starting herd to breed from, which nobody does. So there's all of these challenges, which mean it's not really feasible as even a long-term industry at all. So it's very much a short-term thing. And it's a bubble in a sense that sooner or later, when the, the stocks start to dry up, the industry will need to diversify.
2: You mentioned that uh, the donkey skins themselves can be vectors for all kinds of disease. Um, you know that that kind of it, it opens up a larger, you know, area for me that that, that I find intriguing and, and puzzling, um, which is that you know, as African countries have, have moved to to export more and more crops to um, to China, they had to jump quite a lot of hoops. I mean, there's a lot of phytosanitary rules, a lot of all kinds of hygiene rules. So, for example, it took years for Namibia to to arrange to, to to be able to to get the the final green light to export beef to China. And at the same time, China is at the moment dealing with this massive African swine flu epidemic, you know, which is which is leading to to a a real a real challenge to the pork industry. Um, so how how. How do we square those two things? Like, How how is it possible for them to import all of these possibly disease-ridden donkey skins while all of the other crops are are facing such scrutiny?
3: In countries like uh, Botswana and Zimbabwe, donkeys are simply not regarded as livestock. So all of the meat hygiene issues, all of the the various legislation in place, I think there's three different laws which would govern how slaughterhouses should operate, not just from animal welfare grounds, but from um, meat hygiene laws and things like that. Um, Because donkeys are not considered livestock, they're kind of this grey area in between, which means some countries like Zimbabwe would take that as a problem. And what they've done is they've actually said, no, we're not going to have any donkey slaughter until such laws are in place to actually make sure that it's safe to do so. Um, Other countries like Botswana have said the opposite. They've said, okay, we don't have any laws and so therefore it's not a problem for us to continue until such time that there is a problem or until such time that laws can be put in place. So it's, I think, a little bit about the interpretation of, of how flexible some of that is. But there would be huge risks as well associated with that because really if... Uh, a disease from a donkey skin were to pass outside the country think of the reputational damage to its beef industry um, and to its beef farmers as well if there was a case of anthrax or some other nasty zoonotic disease because there is no veterinary inspections going on for the donkeys it could potentially be pretty horrific to um, to other sectors like beef production
1: The report is Under the Skin 2, published by the Donkey Sanctuary. Alex Myers is the head of programs there at Donkey Sanctuary. Of course, if you want to find that report, just go to their website at donkeysanctuary.org, or you can follow them on Twitter at Donkey Sanctuary. They're an excellent organization doing a very, very important work on a topic that just doesn't get the attention that it deserves, and so much of the wildlife conservation movement is focused, again, on safari animals, if you will, because that's what people around the world, when they associate Africa with animals, that's what they think, but really, the donkey is at the heart of so much of the family economy in Africa, and it's so important. Kobus, you know, it's again, we're, here we are, once again, at a topic that is just thoroughly depressing. It is one of these issues where I don't know where blame actually lies, And this this is the difficult part about this. I mean, people will blame the Chinese consumer saying, you know, here you are consuming stuff that shouldn't be done and it's having a terrible impact on the world. But then again, I don't know if that's fair because every consumer does not know the supply chain of where their goods products come from. OK, if the, the clothes that you and I are wearing today most likely came from substandard labor, the food that we ate comes from comes from all over the world, oftentimes picked by substandard labor. When you go to the store to buy a piece of plastic junk, it was made likely by substandard labor or the environmental impact of that. and You have no idea where the raw materials for that product came from, because the supply chain is far too complicated, too vast and too global for anybody to really understand the car that you drive today. Same thing. So putting the burden on the Chinese consumer doesn't feel entirely fair to me. Putting it on the Chinese industry, the Chinese government, and local governments in Africa, that I agree. But as we've talked about over the years, African governance is not consistent. So you may have some that are doing very well and some that are not. And this illegal trade will migrate to those places where governance is weak. So I don't know what we do about this.
2: I, you know, I, I share your your confusion. Um I'm I, I also don't hundred percent know what we do about it. Um it's you know, the I think the only thing that, that or the only the 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 real starting point probably is for African governments to really take their local economies, even if they seem very humble, seriously, you know. Um and the I think valuing the role that donkeys play in agricultural economies and seeing them as a, a kind of low-carbon technology, um, you know, a, a, an ecologically sustainable technology, um, better than, you know, a, a gas-powered tractor, for example, um, you know, is is one way forward. Um, I, I think... You know, Alex has pointed out to all of these, all of these, these community-based mitigation measures, you you know, including guarding each other's donkeys. And I think that is a great example of, of, of really kind of humble-seeming but very powerful, you know, measures taken by local communities to actually, to actually ensure the safety of these animals. But, you know, if you look at the entire trade and the issue of, of what we should do with this, the demand for ajao that has now been created through you know through the way that demand is created and and you know with with the, the needs for people to actually who who feel that it's something valuable for them I don't know what to do with them I don't know what to do with that demand
1: I I don't know if you do it on the demand side but here's another area that I think when we talk about all of these foreign funds that are coming into to Africa today. So the International Development Fund, which is the OPEC uh, out of the United States, the uh, the Overseas Private Investment Corporation that became the International Development Finance Corporation, looking for, for opportunities to invest in areas that the private sector won't fund. This is one of those areas is maybe to create a, a legitimate industry that, again, as we talked about, can bring down the price of of donkey skins so that the poaching isn't necessary this is certainly an area where the chinese can take leadership and time and time again the chinese have an opportunity to establish themselves as the conservationists and the you know the sustainable development they talk all this great talk about it but we need to see more than just what they did on ivory 2 years ago and so because the demand is coming from china it seems like the burden is on the chinese government to actually take a lead on these things. But in, but in too many cases, I think the Chinese are reactive and they take so long for make decisions when it comes to conservation and wildlife that by then it's almost too late. So we'd like to see the same thing on pangolins. We'd like to see the same things as what they've done on shark fin. Again, they banned shark fin and that had a very, very immediate impact. So when the Chinese regulatory apparatus does get into motion, big things can happen. It just takes so long fricking long, and that's the frustration that I think that we see here. We also want to see Chinese diplomats talking about these issues, and we don't see that. I, I've never heard Lin Songtian talk about donkeys, for example. The ambassador in South Africa, who's by far the most high-profile Chinese public official in Africa. And so it would be great to start seeing Chinese officials and diplomats taking a role on this. Uh, Kobus, do you see, I mean, you've had the chance to interact with some of these folks. Do you ever, do you see them taking a lead on, on conservation and, and animal conservation issues and things like the donkey trade? Or is that asking too much?
2: I think they only do it when they're forced to. Yeah. You know, it's not something that it's not something that they want to dwell on because it's it doesn't make China look good and it, it you know it's, it 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 deviates from the talking points that they want to push, which is you know usually narratives of win-win development. So you know, however in cases where it becomes a public relations nightmare for them, where where local activists and local communities start really complaining about it, then they do start responding to it. But it it, it takes a while. It takes a lot of energy. And that energy needs to come from local communities. As, you know, the more people complain about it, the the more action you'll see out of Beijing. But it'll take a while of complaining. You know, yeah, a chunk of complaining before any action comes.
1: So once again, check out what the donkey sanctuary is doing. Put this issue on your, uh, on your radar because it is an important issue. And it touches more than just the wildlife animal side of it. It touches families. It's an immediate impact on families. And I think that is a really important distinction between the tragedy that's happening, say, with pangolins and what's happening with donkeys, is that there's a much bigger human impact on the donkeys. That's not to say that it's more important or less important than what's happening with pangolins or... Tigers or whatnot, all the other animals, but it is different in that sense, and it is more complicated. And so what the donkey sanctuary is doing, I think, is so important. And they're really the only ones, I think, that are out there at this level doing it. So again, check out their website. Let us know what you think. Is this an issue that's important to you? What do you think can be done to to either legalize, formalize, or halt the donkey trade, is there anything that can be done? Governance in Africa, governance in Ghana. I'm a little bit dubious and skeptical of, but I'd like to hear what you think. Cobus uh, and I can be reached on email at eric at Project dot com or cobus at Project dot com. Both of us respond to emails very very quickly. We always love hearing from you and what you think of our shows and feedback and criticisms and all that. And so uh, so. Please do let us know what's going on. Also, you can find us on our social media channels. We'll have the addresses for that at the end of the show. So we'll be back again next week with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. For Kobus van Staden, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for listening.
0: The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Kobus at Stadinski or eric at eolander and be sure to sign up for the weekly china and africa email newsletter by going to www.chinaafricaproject.com